Welcome. We are so glad that you are here just in general, but especially today. We are finishing up our series on the full armor of God. How many of you have been trying out one or two or even three of the pieces that we've already been talking about? Help me a little bit. What are some of the pieces that we've already talked about? There's five, and I'm even going to propose a sixth piece today, but help me. What are some of the pieces we've already talked about in the full armor of God? Say it loud so they at home can hear you. The breastplate of righteousness. I'm sorry, say it again, Jesus. Standing firm, exactly. I'm getting to the standing firm part in just a second. The helmet of truth, the, the, the belt of truth, sorry, the belt of truth, exactly. Breastplate, the breastplate, exactly. Jimmy, good. There was one more we talked about. The shoes, exactly, or the boots, exactly. Fitting our feet with the gospel of peace. And, and for many of us, we can picture kind of that half boot that the Roman soldier would have worn. So, so that's what we've talked about. But as we consider these, and of course today we'll consider the rest, and as we've been trying to put on one or the other or maybe all of these pieces, have you had that sneaking suspicion, that, that strange feeling in the back of your mind or maybe even at the front of your mind that, that something or someone is out to get you? I mean, you take one step forward and, and then suddenly you're pushed two steps back. I, you, you, you're trying to succeed in something and the door keeps closing in your face. You're trying to get further in, in your work or, or in your schooling or maybe in a relationship and, and things just keep falling flat on their face. Every time you try to succeed or, 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 or progress or, or move forward, you find yourself flat on your back and you just can't get anywhere. Well, here's the deal. That's not just in your head. That's really happening. There is an enemy, and this enemy is not only fighting with every bit of strength that he has, every tool, every trick at his disposal to fight against your heavenly father, he's also fighting against you. We are at battle. We are at war, and this war involves you. Whether you want it or not, he's coming after you, and he's coming hard. This is not imaginary. This is very real, and so we must understand how important it is to protect ourselves with a spiritual armor. Many of us grew up in church. We read these verses a hundred times, maybe even a thousand times, but we have not put them into practice and lived that out. How important is it? At no other time in probably most of our lives is it more important than right now. Folks, listen to me. If you have not listened the last two weeks, you must listen today. All of these pieces of armor are meant for you now. If you don't use them, shame on you. And shame on me because God has provided. So let's, let's dig into these and let's understand. Just like uh, Jesus said, we, we've talked about last week a little bit and the week before quite a bit about two ideas that we need to understand about this armor before we dig into the last few pieces. Number one, the idea of standing firm. And every single time, for every single piece of armor, God is telling us to stand firm. And remember we said that standing firm is not simply like God says, well, let me test you, let me see who's worthy of getting and wearing this armor. If you can prove to me that you can and stand firm and stay in place and not give up and be strong in yourself that I will give you, I will gift you this armor. It's the exact opposite. God says in his word, having already received this armor and these, all these pieces that we've talked about and those that we will talk about today, having already received, already put them on, you will be able to stand firm, not in your own strength, but rather in the strength of God. And the second idea is that idea of putting on. Remember we talked about those two words for putting on. One means literally to put on, like we put on clothes. 
But the, uh, the wording here is that idea of kind of grab and go. Remember we talked about how firemen fire women. Uh, when that alarm goes off, they're making their way to the fire truck so they can run into a burning building. On their way to their fire truck, they are literally stepping into their uniforms, into their boots. With one movement, they're pulling up their uniform. They're zipping it up. They're putting on their helmet so that by the time they get to their truck, they're ready for action and they can run into a building. They wouldn't dream of running into a burning building without all of their uniform on. That would be crazy. In fact, last week I kind of interviewed one of our, our members. Y'all know Dan and Vicki Nelson. Dan, like many of you, served in our armed forces uh, a few years ago. He was an elite soldier. You know, if you look at him, you say, well, I, I see that. He's, he's a big boy. So he was an elite soldier. I said, what was it like for you guys? You know, because he went to places as an elite soldier the elite forces that, that, that he's not even allowed to tell us where he went or he'd probably have to kill us, so I certainly didn't ask. So, so he, he, you know, he was a front line, the, the tip of the spear kind of guy. So I said, what was it like for you guys when you're going into battle, when you're entering enemy territory? He said, well, there's really two things that you always remember. Number one, you would never, you would never, I would never take a step off base into enemy territory ever without having all of the weapons all of the defenses at my, at my purview, I would never take a step out with having, without having everything on me that I need for battle. I would always, always, always be prepared or I wouldn't take a step off base. I would not enter battle without having everything I need, not just a pocket knife. I would have everything imaginable to protect myself and to engage the enemy. Number two, he said, was this. He said, I would never take one step onto enemy territory, never leave the base without knowing that my enemy is real and my enemy's sole purpose is to take me out, even in peacetime, because he served in wartime and in peacetime. He said, I would never enter enemy territory without that full understanding, understand the reality that my enemy's whole purpose for existing is to take me out. It might be with a bullet, it might be with a, a rifle, it might be with a, 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 a grenade, it might be with all types of things, but it might be trickery, it might be deception. It might, be, it might be a lie of the enemy to entice me into one building where he could take me out and all of my soldiers and, and win the battle. He said, I must understand that when I enter enemy territory, it is very real that my enemy's sole purpose is to take me out. Folks, we are in a battle. We are in a war. We didn't ask for this war. This war came looking for us. We must understand that it is not fun and games. It is not flesh and blood, as we talked about last week and the week before. Your, your neighbor is not your enemy. Your, your spouse is not your enemy. Your, your brother or sister here in church, they are not your enemy. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. It is the spirits of the, of the other world that they're speaking through them and speaking to us and changing things, twisting things, distorting things so that we believe that flesh and blood is the enemy, but it is not. Our enemy is the same today as he was yesterday, and he will be tomorrow until God wins that ultimate victory. But here's the deal. We know the end of the story. He wins. So let's see how we can be defended until then. If you have a Bible, go ahead and pull it open. We are still in the book of Ephesians, as we have been. We're going to finish today. Ephesians chapter 6. Look at the rest of that. Today we'll look at verse 16, 17, and 18. Ephesians 6, 16, 17, and 18. I'll read it for us. Ephesians chapter 6. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Good, so that's, that's the whole text. That's what we're going to jump into today, but we're going to discover and pull out the pieces of armor that we need. The number one piece is right there in verse 16, the shield of faith. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. So let's pull that kind of idea apart because it talks about extinguishing all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We need to pull apart some of those words to understand what we're talking about. So the shield, what was the shield? Now you might have had a picture of what a Roman soldier looks like. You might have pictured one of those round, simple decay carry made out of metal shields that he can run around and fight easily and kind of jump up and down and deflect at the last minute kind of like well kind of like Wonder Woman but totally different but it was nothing like that the, the Roman shield that, that Paul would have been talking remember Paul is the writer of this letter to the church in Ephesus the kind of Roman shield he was talking about looked much more like a door not, not a big eight-foot door, but probably like a four-foot door, kind of rectangle-shaped, made out of hard wood, so it was heavy. Wrapped around the hard wood would have been sheet metal or some kind of metal coating to make it extra hard. On top of that would have been cloth with, with some kind of insignia of, of, of which battalion they were from. And then all of that would have been dunked in water just to make sure it was that much less flammable, but also that much heavier. So you can picture, these were some big stout boys. <laughs> they were holding on to this thing, and as they're entering battle with their sword, with their shield, they were able to deflect the arrows that were coming at them, the swords, whatever, was, they were ready to do that. When it got really hot, when the battle got really heavy, they could hunker down. They would take this big, heavy door. You can imagine what hardwood weighs, and they would slam it into the ground so this nice and firm, and they would hunker down behind this, and the arrows, the darts, the swords, the rocks, the, the burning oil, everything we've seen in those old movies that was coming up, they could protect themselves. And in occasion, if needed, if they found themselves in the middle of the field and the enemy was attacking from all sides, these shields could be connected to each other. And they would do something called tortoising, looking like a tortoise or like a turtle. They would hook these shells together all around them this way and even on top of them, and they would tortoise down and whatever was thrown or shot or, or ran at them, they could protect themselves from all of this. This was incredibly important because as they entered the, shield, the, the, the battle, they had to be able to protect themselves. But, but what kind of shield was this? As, as powerful, as, as thick and as stout as this was, why did they need that and what kind was it? The Bible calls it a shield of faith. Now, what role does faith play, and how could faith be that kind of a tortoise shell over us? Faith is that Greek word pistis, and it means to be, to be assured by or even persuaded specifically by God. Now, I know nowadays, kind of Oprah-esque or the Ellen Show-esque kind of way of thinking is, well, you just got to have faith, you know? Have faith in yourself. Have faith in humankind. Have faith in, in, in your family. Have faith in your abilities. You can have faith in all kinds of things. Here's the deal. At the latest, by next week Thursday, you're going to fall flat on your face. As, as, as great as you are and as, as intelligent as you are and as gifted and as nice as you are, we're not going to be able to make it past next week Thursday tops. But if our faith, as the Bible uses this very biblical word, pistis, talks specifically about persuaded by God. This is a Bible-only, God-only kind of faith. To have faith in God and God alone. And here's the deal. 
I don't care whether you're talking about next Thursday or a year from now Thursday or a hundred years from now Thursday, God never fails. So if we are persuaded by, if we have confidence in, if we are assured in and have assurance in God, this is like the shield that protects us. No matter what comes, it always remains. It is always strong enough. Now, why does it have to be strong enough? This whole deal with the fiery darts or some have uh, fiery arrows or flaming arrows. What's the deal with that? Now, these arrows aren't those like you've seen it in the uh, Robin Hood kind of movies, those little two-foot two-footers, you know, stand way back, and they shoot him up, and they block him, and some guy might have a hundred arrows in his thing, and he's still fighting away. This isn't that kind of arrow at all. These, these biblical arrows, they were seven feet long. Two feet of that seven feet was metal. That was the tip part, two feet. Then they would take this seven-foot uh, arrow, front two feet made out of metal, they would dip it in tar and pitch, light it on fire, and they would shoot it at you. They'd fly about a, a hundred feet, so I'm thinking to myself, well, if a, a seven-foot arrow hits me from 100 feet, I'm pretty much gone, whether it's on fire or not. What's the deal with the fire? Why do we need the fire? I mean, just to shoot the arrow, that's going to pretty much do the trick. Here's the deal. They didn't always hit the, the soldier. They hit those, those shields that were made out of wood. So they lit them on fire, it hits that, digs in, and it just starts to smolder just a little bit. It starts to burn. Maybe another one hits it, also on fire. It just starts to smolder. Here's the deal. What's hitting our shield, what the enemy is throwing at us, is not just a one-time blow and gone. He is digging in, and he's like bitterness. He's just simmering, and he's growing, and it's long-lasting, and it's digging in. So that eventually that, that shield that was at one time protecting us, it catches fire, and the soldier throws it down to protect himself, and what happens then? He's completely, she's ex completely exposed, completely vulnerable. Anything else, I mean, anything else the devil, the enemy throws at him or at her, they are completely exposed. They are vulnerable. They're going down. They're going down fast because they've had to throw down because this stuff. What are these arrows that are simmering, that, that, that dig into our shield and slowly and bit by bit, they start to burn it apart until we throw it down and we're exposed? They all start with D just to make it easier to remember. Number one is doubt. You remember, you remember the very first temptation? Remember when, when Satan himself appears to Eve? That, did, did God really say that? Did God really promise you that? Did God really mean that when he said, do you think God really has your best interests at heart? Just plain that little seed of doubt. He plants discouragement. He shoots us with discouragement. It just festers. It cooks. It burns. Why did that fail again? Why did I fail again? Every time I try something, it doesn't go anywhere until it just turns into a flame. There's also delay. God, when will this COVID end? When will we get back to school? When will we get back to church? When will life be normal again? When that delay turns into a doubt, that difficulty. God, I thought when I became a Christian, everything was going to be easy. You promised me, God. You promised me. If I would just do your will, you would make my way straight. And it's so hard, God. And then there's defeat. We think we've done everything right. We followed his will. And we still fall flat on our face. And we say, why even bother? And we throw in the towel. All of these doubts are like flaming arrows hitting our shield. Our shield is protecting us. But if they're allowed to remain and they burn and they simmer and they, they sizzle until eventually it turns into a flame. Here's the deal, folks. If we are not careful, if we are not careful, it will burn that shield and we'll throw it away and we'll be vulnerable. What we must do is this. We must be careful to doubt 
our doubts, but we must be careful to believe our beliefs because too often we do the exact opposite. When these arrows hit our shield and we're constantly under barrage, we begin to doubt our beliefs and we begin to believe our doubts. And before long, we throw that shield down because we believe a doubt that it is not protecting us and then we are totally open for the enemy's attack. We must put on the shield of faith. Let's look at the next piece. The helmet of salvation. Look at verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation. Now, what is a helmet? Helmet, obviously, is a helmet. Now, you can imagine, you've, I'm sure, seen pictures of this image of these helmets. They're, they're made out of metal, primarily out of iron, but also some bronze in there for good measure. Inside of there, there's a little bit of padding, maybe a little bit of cloth, maybe a little piece of leather. you got some side straps here protecting the side, maybe a little bit on the back to protect your neck. But this is a chunk of metal. Now, I don't know how often you've picked up a chunk of metal that big, but it is not light. And these, these were stout boys out there doing battle, but even for them, it was hard work. I don't care who you are, if you put a big chunk of metal like that on someone's head, it's going to be hard to hold up. But here's the deal. It took exercise, it took preparation, it took training to hold that big chunk of metal on their head. They had to train their neck muscles and their arm muscles and their shoulder muscles to be able to fight and do battle while we're wearing this kind of protection. But they wouldn't dream of going into battle without it. Folks, so often we want that quick fix, that easy answer, that one-time visit to the pastor or one-time visit to church worship service and God just takes care of all of our problems. And then we can go back out into the world and we'll check in with God again at Christmas. That is not at all the biblical picture. God is calling us to dig in, to train, to work at it, to understand even though it's hard work to wear that heavy, thick helmet, it is so worth it because this is the helmet of salvation. And what that word is, the helmet of having been saved, the idea of understanding your savedness as a child, as a son or a daughter of God. You are saved in him and he is protecting that savedness. His, his blood pours over, washes over you. And that is what protects not only your head, but your, your, your brain, but your very mind and your thoughts. Folks, we said this is not a battle against flesh and blood. He's not out to chop off your arm or even chop off your leg. He's after your heart. He's after your mind. He's after your thoughts. If he can mess with your mind, he's got you and your family and your church and your relationships. He's got everything. If he chops off the arm, he's got, he's got an arm. But if he can get to your heart or your brain, he can mess up all kinds of things. And so that's what he's after. So this helmet of salvation, our savedness, understanding who we are in Christ is what deflects. Now, here's the deal about the helmet. If you're wearing a chunk of iron and bronze on your head, I don't care, I don't care what he shoots at you from 100 feet. It's, it's an arrow. It could be a spear. It could be one of these seven-footers, for all I know. If he's shooting at it from 100 feet or further, it's going to hurt. It's going to leave a mark, no doubt. But it's going to deflect off. And you'll get back up and you'll go right back into battle. The only way to do serious damage to a, a helmet made out of iron and bronze is to get up close. If the enemy gets up close to that helmet made out of iron ore and he deals a blow from up close, I mean like, like man-to-man combat, he, he can put a crack in that helmet. That's not only going to hurt, it's going to leave it open for future wounds and future intrusions into your mind, into your thoughts, into your brain, into who you are. 
why do we let him so close? Why in the world do we let the enemy so close that he can deal that kind of a blow to our... God's given us his helmet. He's given us this to protect our minds, our thoughts. And we let the enemy so close. You remember that, that drug with a plug we got in every room in our house? Our social media, the news channel. I don't care what letters you put in front of your news channel. It's... it's I, well, I, I use the word news lightly. The, the, the entertainment channels with letters in front of it. Uh, your friends, their input, your neighbors, your colleagues. I'm not saying you need to go live in a commune somewhere or up on a mountain away from all that. What I'm saying is for as much stuff as we let the enemy pump into our brains, pump into our minds, pump into our eyeballs, pump into our hearts, we need to be sure that this, this helmet is firmly in place and we need to have positive input from our brothers and our sisters and, and our pastor and God's word and, and worship time defending us, protecting us, and making sure that doesn't get in. Because here's the deal. He will lie to you. He will tell you who you are, but that is not who you are. Let me remind you of who you are in Christ. This is just a, a, a brief list. There's so much more out of God's word. Let me remind you who you are. This, this helmet of savedness to remind you. If you know who you are, when that enemy comes attacking, you can defend yourself. You are forgiven. First Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been filled. We are washed clean. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are as crimson, they shall be made like wool. You are free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. You are never alone. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You are a masterpiece for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do all the things he planned for us long ago. You are wonderfully made. I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made and you are bold since we have such a hope. We are very bold. These things and so many more. This is who God says you are. The enemy will continue to barrage your brain and strike your helmet and look for a crack. And if he finds a crack, he will pour all kinds of stuff, bad stuff. There's a different word that I'd really like to use at this point. But it's all kinds of bad stuff into your brain. If you let him do it, shame on you. Don't get so close that he can strike that kind of a blow and crack your very helmet of salvation. Number three, the third piece is the sword of the spirit. This, of course, is the famous offensive weapon as opposed to defensive weapons that we've been talking about. Now, let's talk about that sword for just a second. Now, I, I want you to get the picture out of your mind of that knight in shining armor. I know you've seen it. You've seen the old movies. You've seen museums from the Middle Ages. That's a thousand or more years after the Romans. They would wear these, uh, these, uh, these uh, uh, outfits all made out of metal. And you remember what their swords looked like? I mean, they were almost as tall as they were, right? You know, and it was, it was a huge chunk of metal. I mean, it was just a handful of guys that could actually pick up that sword and swing it powerfully enough to chop off 
chop off the head of the dragon, right? You remember that. That's not at all what we're talking about. Those kind of, those kind of swords were impractical. They were huge. They were heavy. I mean, at best, you could stand up next to it. At best, you find them now in a museum. They, they don't really serve. They're not useful for anybody except maybe a very few folks. Huh. That, that sounds, a lot like, sounds a lot like some of our Bibles at home, huh? Kind of big and don't really serve a purpose anymore. They're very ornate and decorative. You can hardly lift them. Only very few people know what to do with them. So just to make sure they're safe, we put them up on a shelf. You can't even read the, the text they're written in. The, the language is written. It might as well be Greek to us. That's not at all what God is talking about here. That kind of a sword never appears in the Bible. This sword, in fact, the Greek word is a makaira sword, is totally different. It's about two feet long. It's a very hand, about two feet long. It's very handy. Anyone can pick it up and use it. A child, a teenager, a woman, a man, a senior adult, anyone can pick up a Makaira sword and start using it. The difference is, the difference is in how well you use it. There's a maturity that comes. Now, you remember what maturity is? Maturity is that combination of information and experience. That's where we get maturity. So if we have these simple to use, ready to use, created so that anyone can pick it up and defend themselves or even use it offensively, if they're created for that and anyone can and should use them, what is holding us back? Our maturity level. We must have a combination of the information from God's word and the experience as a child of God, discipleship, to be able to pick that and use it properly, not only to defend ourselves, but actually to gain ground against the enemy. Let me read a passage to you out of Hebrews, the same author, Paul, talking to a different group of folks, but talking about maturity. Let me read it. It's Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk. Not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now, that's the same guy, Paul. He's writing to people like you and me. He's saying that is maturity. That's what it takes. If you have the information combined with the proper experience, that equals maturity, and you're able to pick up that sword, not only because you can, because anyone can, but you're able to pick it up and use it properly as a mature soldier. That is what God is offering that's after, and that's what he's asking us to do, to know his word so well that we can use it properly. I've told you the story about my sister-in-law as she began working in a bank. Remember what I told you about how she learned to tell the difference between good money and fake money? Remember what I said? For, for a number of weeks, almost a month, they only let the new guys and gals play with real money. They had to count it. They had to look at it. They had to smell it. They had to stack it. They had to put it away. They had to pull it out. For weeks and weeks and weeks, they were only touching real money. And then after about a month, they started sliding in some, some fake money, some, 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 some illegitimate money, some money they found. And then so my, my sister, she's counting it out. All of a sudden, hmm. Didn't smell right. Didn't feel right. Actually, even with a naked eye, it didn't even look right. Had it tested, sure enough, it was phony money. 
How in the world did she know that? Did, had she studied all the phony monies that had ever been made and she knew all about phony money? No, they wouldn't let her do that even for a minute. All they let her do is play all day long, work all day long, touch all day long, the real thing. And the moment something fake, something out of place, something phony crossed her fingers, she knew it immediately. What is God telling us? It's the same with his word. Folks, we must know his word. It's just a two little two-foot sword. Anyone can pick it up. Anyone can use it. The difference is the maturity level to be able to use it well. And that's what God is calling us to do. We must memorize scripture. We must ingest, we must digest God's word. Yeah, this is awesome. Uh, this is all you need, I promise you. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go one step further and say when this is in your heart and in your mind and you can repeat it back, remember what Jesus did when, when he was tempted by the enemy? He digested and regurgitated God's word and the devil fled from him. This is what God wants you to do. Pastor, am I supposed to memorize the whole Bible? I'm, I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not that kind of girl. I, I ain't got that kind of time. Maybe not the whole Bible yet. <laughs> Why don't you start with the areas where you're struggling? Time management, uh, wandering eyes, <laughs> uh, a desire to work too much, a desire to work too little. <laughs> Whatever area you're struggling in personally, what if you started memorizing those scriptures? And when those fiery darts started coming at you, darts that are, are aimed at you that maybe aren't aimed at me. I, I have different darts aimed at me than uh, aimed at Pastor Ron. We, we have different darts, but you learn the passages out of God's word that will give you the power in that sword to not only defend yourself, but to actually start gaining ground against your enemy. And that's how God will do it. Let me, let me look at one more tool, one more piece of armor, and that is number four, prayer. Now I know, if you've gone through a study on the, on the full armor of God, this might not have been included in the list, but I want you to hear me out. Look at, look at verse 18 real quick. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of God's people. Folks, we have a, a long list of very heavy, very intricate, very involved pieces of armament, protection, but also offensive weapons. We talked about being able to grab and go as we're heading towards the burning building, as we're heading towards the fire, as we're heading towards the battle. We are literally slipping this on and wearing it comfortably so that it becomes part of who we are, part of how we do life. That doesn't come overnight. That takes practice, and that takes preparation, and that takes digging in and working hard and memorizing and studying and understanding, but it also takes prayer. I argue that prayer is not only that which holds all of this together. Prayer, God speaking to you and you hearing from God, is that which will enable you to be able to do all of these things. John Piper said something very powerful about prayer that I think will help us understand how important prayer is in the aspect of spiritual warfare. He wrote it in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He says this, We cannot know what prayer is until we know what life is. Life is war. That's not all it is, but it certainly is that. Our weakness in prayer is owed largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime two-way radio for the mission of the church as it advances against the darkness, 
the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts for our den. God has given us prayer as a wartime two-way radio so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances into the world. Folks, that's what prayer is. That's the role that prayer plays in our understanding of not only attaining and putting on, but maintaining these pieces of armor, the full armor of God. Let me close with this. In talking about all of these pieces of armor the last few weeks, we've talked about every piece and covering every part of our body except, I just want to talk briefly as we finish here, the one part of our body that is not protected by the armor of God that we read here. Can you guess what it is? Our back. You notice that? Every other piece of arm, armament, every other piece of protection, every other piece of armor has to do with our, with our head, our, our front, our chest, our, 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 our arms, our, our, our hands, uh, our feet, everything to do. Why is that? Why, why wouldn't a Roman soldier, I mean, at least a Roman soldier, why wouldn't he have anything to protect his back? I don't want to protect that back. <laughs> well, if you don't have Jimmy, then you're going to need armor. I'm okay because I got Jimmy to cut. He's got my back. Well, here's the deal. The Roman soldiers, they weren't about to invest money. The Roman government wasn't about to invest money in the guy's back. They're not there to run. They're not there to retreat. They send them into battle to do battle. They send them into battle to at least stand firm. And if they can't stand firm, to at least stand still. If they can't stand still, then they're going to die. But they're not called to turn around and run. They're not going to invest money in protecting their back. Because no one needs protection in the back unless you're running away from the battle. Or maybe... Maybe taking a little bit of friendly fire, which happens on occasion, but we're not talking about that. What God is talking about for you and me is he is investing it. He's giving you all these things. I believe, like Jimmy said, that God has our back. Wherever we are, God is calling us. If, if we are not experiencing the protection of God, that may be the problem. It may be that we have turned and we have given up. We have started walking away, even running away. And the devil has free range on our back because we've given up. God is calling us to, at the very least, stand. And if we can, to even stand firm, planting our feet. And if we can, begin to give resistance. And then as he gives us a sword of the, of the spirit, to even start gaining ground against the enemy. And for that, we need all the protection on this side. And that's where he says, so if you, are, if you are repeatedly and over and over again taking hits and you find yourself on your knees and you're not getting any further, maybe you have to ask the question, God, in which direction am I aimed? Am I heading into battle with and for you? Or am I running from the battle? And once you've cleared that up, position yourself in the direction God has called you to go and all the armament that he has given you to wear. And when that is on and when that is in place, I promise you, you will not feel the same attacks that you do right now. God has called us to a battle. It is not yours. It is not mine. It is his. But we are co-laborers and we are his children. So his enemy has become our enemy. If you are sick and tired of being sick and tired, then stand. Put on your armor and fight. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your full armor. God, we, uh, we, we sometimes come to church wanting to talk about sweet things and happy things and blessings. 
And those are fun. That's what we all love. But God, to get to those places, we need to understand that, that we are in the middle of a war. And that is what makes those blessings and those sweet things that much sweeter. God, as we focus on what your will is for us and your calling is on our lives, help us to understand that it is not just to receive, but it is also to stand and it is also to fight. God, empower us, embolden us, encourage us to be your sons and daughter, winning ground for your kingdom in this city today. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Amen.